Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. My guest today is here to announce her decision to run for Congress. City Council Member Carlina Rivera of Manhattan joins me in just a moment. Stay tuned. This announcement and conversation are happening because we have new congressional maps in New York. Hopefully you've heard, especially here on the show where we've been talking about this, including a recent conversation with State Senator Alessandra Biagi, who's running for Congress in an upstate district. Uh, We and many others, including potential candidates deciding whether to run in this year's elections, are still processing the new boundaries of New York's congressional districts, as well as those for the state Senate, which were also redrawn significantly, created out of a messy, convoluted redistricting process that just unfolded. New York's new congressional maps for its districts in the U.S. House of Representatives were informed by, among other factors, the 2020 census, which led to a loss of one House seat for the state due to population trends. It's going to go from 27 seats to 26 seats next year based on the decisions in these elections as New York's delegation to the House of Representatives continues to shrink. It's a decades-long trend. And there's also considerations into these new boundaries based on what are called communities of interest, demographic shifts within the state and within New York City, and much more. One of the major takeaways of the new maps and their fallout in New York City is there is a new 10th congressional district with no incumbent running. Given the contours of this new 10th district, which now includes a big chunk of downtown Manhattan and parts of Brooklyn, including parts of downtown Brooklyn, Park Slope, Red Hook, Sunset Park, Borough Park, and more, Representative Jerry Nadler, who represents the current 10th district, is now running in the new 12th district, which includes his Upper West Side base and much of the Upper East Side base of Representative Carolyn Maloney. So those Two longtime representatives, as well as Siraj Patel, who's run in the 12th district against Maloney before, and perhaps others, will be competing in the Democratic primary for the 12th congressional district. We're going to set that aside for today, of course, and we're focusing here on the 10th congressional district. It's a wide open race, and we're seeing a very interesting field of candidates develop, including now my guest today. That field already includes Mayor Bill de Blasio, who left office, of course, at the end of last year. Representative Mondaire Jones, who's leaving his 17th district up in the Hudson Valley for this campaign. And we have a lot of questions about that. We're hoping to ask Representative Jones at some point here on the show. Assemblymember Yuli New, advocate Maud Marin, maybe former Congresswoman Elizabeth Holtzman, possibly others, though a lot can shift quickly, maybe even by the time you're listening to this. And over time, as we are uh, getting into what will no doubt be an intense, uh, sweaty, (laughs) thoughtful, we hope, three-month primary campaign. Yes, the congressional primaries, along with those for the newly drawn state Senate, will be in August. First, New York is having June primaries for statewide offices and seats in the state assembly. And then the congressional and state Senate primaries in August and the general election for all of the above in the fall, of course. Don't be confused. We're here for you on the show here at Max Politics. You can find other episodes wherever you get podcasts or at the Gotham Gazette site. We've got other reporting on all this at GothamGazette.com. And of course, our colleagues in the New York Press Corps have lots of coverage of all this as well. And you can find a whole bunch of helpful information as we and many others continue to sort this out and get ready to vote. And you can find what 
all the new maps look like at the redistricting and you website from the CUNY mapping service. It's a great service. Uh, go to the New York section, of course, and you can find what the maps look like and lots of information about those districts. So if you want to follow along with us here as we discuss New York's new 10th congressional district, go to redistricting and you and select New York and then select the 10th district. So we have Carlina Rivera with us today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. What a what a great kind of rundown of what's been happening in New York City politics. <laughs> Thanks. You know, it is hard to keep it concise. Uh, I didn't there, but I tried to to keep it as narrow as possible. You uh, are in the city council now. You've been on the show in the past. You represent the second city council district, including the East Village, Lower East Side, and other parts of, of Manhattan. You chair the Criminal Justice Committee in the city council. Last term, you chaired the Committee on Hospitals. Uh, lots of work there that we'll get into, but you are here in a, in a new and different capacity, and you're, you're making an announcement. Yes, I'm running for Congress in NY10, which is a fantastic district that includes neighborhoods in Manhattan and Brooklyn, including where I was born and raised in the Lower East Side. And I'm here to let people know I am very, very excited about this. I am someone who really believes deeply in public service. I I truly care about, about doing this work. I think I have a record of results and I am someone who wants to make New York a city everyone can see themselves in. I get the job done. This is my home and the community is behind me. So I'm really excited to to move forward and and to, as you mentioned, engage in what's going to be a very hot and busy summer. (laughs) And I'm excited to do that with all of my neighbors, my friends, my family from from Brooklyn to Manhattan, people that uh, know that I am just a, I have a local perspective that NY10, I think, really wants from their representative. And I want to be the member of Congress that does both, that really understands how universal issues affect people across the country, but that has a very, very nuanced and local understanding as to how to get things done. And of course, how to build coalitions to, to make sure that we have a really, really balanced approach to how we're taking care of families. So many of these congressional districts are very big, obviously, and I ran through a little bit of what this new New York 10 looks like with, uh, you know, some big chunks of of downtown Manhattan. Uh, Some of those have some similarities. There's, of course, different neighborhoods, different demographics. Um, I mean, you already have that even in a city council district, which is smaller. Uh, And then we get into Brooklyn and there's various and diverse communities in Brooklyn. When you're looking at this new congressional district and you're seeking, um, you know, voters approval in the Democratic primary coming up in August now uh, and you want to represent this this congressional district, how do you sort of think about how do you describe this district? You know, what what are some of the ways you're thinking about the people and the neighborhoods and the communities that you're seeking to represent here? This is a very highly engaged district. This is these are people and families that take voting very, very seriously. I also think that they look at their congressional members, their representatives as very local positions. They want someone who is going to understand what's going on, like in their streets and on their block and understanding that, you know, housing, jobs, reproductive rights, acting on climate change, public safety. These are some of the top issues that that we discuss every single day in the council. But of course, when 
I'm at community meetings, when I'm checking in with folks. So I think there is just an understanding that right now the future of New York is up for grabs. I think I'm the candidate to lead us there. I have this very kind of, I'm a homegrown candidate of fierce commitment to my community, to fighting, to bring resources into our neighborhoods, especially for those who are struggling. And that I've stood up to powerful interests in the past. Uh, this is a place where um, I have a lot of memories too. I have memories of, you know, going to the matinees on Sundays at Cabo Hill Theater, when my mom and family came from Puerto Rico, they they landed in Brooklyn, you know, going to uh, Fulton Street, shopping at ANS, it's, it's now a Macy's, visiting my family and friends in Sunset Park. And of course, all of the memories I have playing basketball on the West Side, um, you know, visiting small businesses and restaurants in Chinatown. My entire life has taken place in these amazing neighborhoods. And now to have this rare opportunity to be able able to be their representative in Washington is something that I'm I'm really excited about. I think New York is is at a crossroads and I'm running for Congress to turn my love for New York into a vision for the city that everyone can see themselves. And I think even before the pandemic, people were wondering, they felt very, very transient in their jobs and in their homes. Is there going to be a future for me here in New York City? I have those lived experiences, you know, living paycheck check to paycheck, um, having student debt, looking for a job, you know, filing for unemployment during economic uh, crisis and instability. And I'll be a tireless advocate for, for New Yorkers. I'll, I'll drive new and creative solutions as the city rebounds from the pandemic and rebuilds for the future. And, and I understand the city's most pressing problems, but also our limitless potential. There is so much talent here in New York City. There, there is really, I think, a time right now to, of course, deliver a just recovery, but to also think about, all right, how can we take some of these solutions and some of the things and the accomplishments that I've had on the local level? And it can certainly translate to solutions for communities and people across the country. Some of my, my housing work and really changing the whole conversation around building affordable housing by bringing deeply affordable mixed income housing to two of the highest opportunity neighborhoods in the country at no cost to taxpayers. I think a lot of the work that I've done around healthcare and specifically reproductive rights, leading the change to create the first municipal program in the country to directly fund abortion care. And in terms of public safety, which I know is at the top of the agenda for many folks, increasing investments in some of these strategies to law enforcement that include community level programs and violence interrupters. I've visited this stand up to violence program at Jacoby Hospital where they're treating gun violence as a public health issue. So these are programs that are, are working that I've really been advocating for and want to take some of those skills and of course my lived experience and my absolute love for this city. And I love to do that as a Congress member for NY10. There's um, a little bit of an interesting dynamic developing in this race. Uh, yourself, Assemblymember Yuli New, uh, Mondair Jones, who, as I said in the introduction, is a member of Congress now, but from quite far away, now coming in to run in this district. Um, 
that there's there's sort of a you know this this younger generation of elected officials here, and then there's the former mayor, maybe the former Congress member uh, Elizabeth Holtzman. Um, but how much uh, you know, regardless of your competition, this race per se, how much are you thinking about even more broadly for the Democratic Party for uh, the federal government, sort of needing a new generation of leadership, and what is that? What does that mean um, in concrete terms, in terms of like policies that you'd fight for? You know, people uh, sometimes will will run on, you know, the idea of sort of generational change, but their policies are not really that different from the older generation that's currently in office. They just want to sort of take out an incumbent. <laughs> You're not running it against an incumbent here, but um, how do you think about sort of the need, if, if you think there is one, of sort of generational change within the Democratic Party, within the federal government, and if that's something you're thinking about, you know, how does it manifest on the policy level? I think a lot about how some of my policy work um, has been able to take on some of our biggest issues. One thing that's really important that's finally at the, the I think the forefront of the national conversation is is climate change. You know, I fought for and passed uh, the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project, which is a one point four five billion dollar plan to protect the east side from future disasters and storm surges. And that was such an emotional, intense time after the hurricane. And our community really came together to figure out, okay, how can we best protect ourselves? And I think issues like this influence national and I and even international policy. And I think these are some of the issues that we're really trying to figure out, you know, how can we work on a local level? And I mean that even even in a federal way, even as a Congress member, you have a local responsibility to your folks. Many of us are going to say, of course, we want to codify Row in New York City, I, I led the change to create the first municipal program in the country for abortion access. That is something that should be replicated across cities and certainly will have to, especially in these kind of times when reproductive rights are under attack. I think when when I think about our vision as a city, Revitalizing our city is my top priority uh, in in our pandemic recovery and beyond. I think for what I bring that's really unique to the role is that I'm the only candidate with a strong existing constituency in the district. And I have, I think, the clearest path to building a district-wide coalition. I think people are... The support for my run from a very diverse NY10 and the city leaders is a clear sign that we have momentum. And I think that they're excited that I'm someone who is just very energized by the possibility of our city and of our communities. There are great candidates running all over this state and all over this country. And we certainly have a lot in common in terms of our national agenda on gun control, on codifying Roe, on um, getting, you know, you know, big money out of politics and enabling someone from with very, very humble beginnings like myself to run. I think what what I come to it is, you know, the issues New Yorkers face 
continue to grow. And, and my record proves that I'm well equipped to help deliver solutions as a member of Congress, just like I have as a member of the city council. But then New Yorkers are certainly very hungry for leadership and vision that's as bold as it is pragmatic in taking on those fights. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think I've used my platform kind of my own identity to try to talk about these issues that are really affecting us in a very, very deep way. I think what is exciting and what I think people have really kind of responded to when I'm talking to them about my run is that I just have a love for my city and I'm deeply grateful for all the support that I've already received to run for council and now and now for Congress and what an honor it would be. I'm a I'm a homegrown candidate. I'm from I'm from the neighborhood. And I think people want to see someone who does have bold ideas, but who also has a very nuanced understanding of the local issues. So I think, yeah, absolutely. Let me come back to local issues in a second. Um, In terms of going big, going bold on the on the national level, if you're uh, elected to Congress, if Democrats keep control of the House, obviously, those are are significant ifs that will play out over the course of this election. Um, you know, you're 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 one of uh, hundreds in the majority. Um, if that happens in the minority, it's even harder to get you know your priorities done. But let's say you are a member of the House in the in a Democratic majority. What are the one or two things at the top of the list where you would want to go big and bold with you know Democratic leadership? Let's just say in the House, in the Senate, in the presidency. Where are those issues where you would really want to use your voice, whatever, you know, it can it can help accrue in terms of political momentum to really Mm. have the country go big and and go bold? This is a you know, I think of so many to choose from. I know. I know. I know. That's why I don't want to name a whole bunch, because I know that I'm sure (laughs) you have other questions for me and we have limited time. But um, I mentioned the reproductive rights movement, the fight for abortion access. I think what we've been able to do in New York City with the the first municipal abortion access fund, and it's since been replicated in other cities like Austin. And we're learning from Austin too, right? They went ahead and they included something like transportation expenses. I think this is these are things that we can sort of influence in a national way that will hopefully lead to ultimately codifying Roe. I think that is such an important issue. And yes, it reverberates. It has consequences for other issues, I think, that include just civil rights in general and treating people as full people, as as real citizens. I mean, cities are are not structures. Cities are the people that lead them have to center our humanity first and foremost. So I think reproductive rights is certainly a big issue. And that just is healthcare in general. As you mentioned, I was chair of the committee on hospitals and the work that we did in terms of addressing some of the systemic inequities that a lot of us knew was already there and how, you know, the money flows into our hospital systems in a very disproportionate way. And the largest uh, municipal health care system in the country is health and hospitals. And so who they serve and, and, and how they're supported by the federal government is incredibly important. 
So we have to, I think, address, you know, healthcare and reproductive rights are, are very important. I mentioned climate change. I think some of the work that I've done, not just on something like the Eastside Coastal Resiliency Project, but in the council, we passed the Climate Mobilization Act. A lot of people call that the Dirty Buildings Bill, which was to address the emissions from our very inefficient buildings here in New York City. I think it also goes to how we're prioritizing mass transit transit, green infrastructure. So really putting first prioritizing our cyclists, our pedestrians and investing in mass transit. I know where those transit dollars should go here in New York City, whether we're extending the Second Avenue subway, looking at, you know, how to make sure that, you know, Brooklyn, Queens and some of our other boroughs have the same sort of concentration and focus in terms of infrastructure money and making sure that we're designing cities for people. I introduced and and passed open streets. That's been a national model in terms of how we reclaim our open space and redesign it. And then ultimately housing. I can't tell you how, I guess, encouraged I am that housing is really finally kind of going to the top of the national agenda of how people are suffering in terms of access to housing and overall affordability. Whether it's making sure that our communities are actually contributing affordable housing to the overall stock, especially in cities that are in crisis like New York City, but that's being felt across the country. So how do we amp up mass production? How do we ensure that people with vouchers aren't being discriminated against? And how do we start, like we really have to talk about treating public housing as part of our general infrastructure. So the way that we mention hospitals and transit or like the MTA, that's how we should talk about public housing. Mm. There are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of families, people that are living in public housing here and across the country, and they are living in repair it in in just dis, their apartments are in disrepair and they're living in 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 such terrible condition that it's no way it's just not the new york way and we have to care for these families and i think that you know that is certainly one of the best examples of affordable housing and we have to go further and we have to make sure that we're preserving and of course really stepping up the supply and that production mm-hmm. um other than a massive amount of federal funding for NYCHA repairs, um, which obviously plenty of people are, are advocating for and, and is something that there's obviously a, a lot of a big chorus pushing for, but hasn't happened. But other than that, is there one lever on NYCHA that you really want to see pulled or pulled further than it's been pulled? Is there something related to public housing um, that you would really, you know, try to move ahead on? Or maybe there's something that's already moving ahead, but you want to accelerate beyond just, you know, a huge, big old allocation towards NYCHA? You know, this is a this is the, the I think the question that a lot of us struggle with, because, yes, we can all agree we need a giant influx of cash. I mean, New York City alone needs 40 billion dollars. And I thought what an opportunity there would have been uh, to fund it as we were discussing kind of the American Rescue Plan and hopefully build back better. And and those infrastructure bills that can bring this large influx of cash. I think what people uh, I, and I hope that people 
can admit to actually walking public housing. I have walked all of the developments in the Lower East Side, in Brooklyn, in Red Hook. Um, uh, You know, I I feel like until people actually see and understand what these families are going through, they have to do everything in, in their power, in their capacity to make sure that these families are supported to make their own decisions, whatever that may be in terms of their development. These tenant association leaders in in public housing and specifically in NYCHA, they're usually women, women of color, and they do this day in and day out, countless hours. They do not get paid. And all of this is to take care of the families there who have been really neglected for a long time. So what are some of our solutions? I know there have been some legislative solutions being explored. Uh, I've certainly tried to do what I can as the councilwoman, you know, funding the renovation of parks, uh, making sure that there are dollars going in for things like um, making sure the compactor is moving because there's a big trash and rat problem in our city. So I think people really need to walk public housing and understand what is going on and then further move to empower these tenant associations and these leaders to make the decisions for their developments that make the most sense. A uh, quick question that connects your um, your current work chairing the city council uh, criminal justice committee mm-hmm. and a potential mm-hmm. federal role. Um, it, do you believe that it's time for a federal receivership of, of the city's jails, especially those on, on Rikers Island? Do you think that it's time to do that? I saw your colleague Keith Powers in the city council says it's time for that. There's some others I think that believe that. Do you think there should be a federal takeover of the city's jails? There is a humanitarian crisis unfolding in Rikers Island, period. I think it is receiving national attention and the conditions there for the incarcerated and officers alike are completely unacceptable and it's dangerous. I do not see a plan from the city to tackle these issues in the next few months. And I feel that the receivership is imminent. I, if, if, and again, we've asked in multiple hearings, I encourage people, if you have the time, take a look at the hearings that we've had in the council in trying to hold the Department of Corrections and, of course, this mayoral administration accountable for the lack of reform and hopefully more transparency as time goes on. And recently they announced an interagency task force, which sounds like a plan to make a plan And that is just not the spot that we are in. So unless they can really turn it around and come forward with actual reform and a plan to which I hope ultimately close Rikers Island, but to at least get conditions up to the point where we do not have, we are not, you know, at vigils or reading news about people who have died within the facilities themselves, then this administration should get on board and choosing a receiver and federal and and getting on board with federal intervention that they themselves could participate in in terms of the discussion. There are only two options and I do not see the plan coming together and it looks like federal intervention is on its way. So, you know, we, we have the 
few conversations ahead of us in terms of what to expect from leadership, but we are just not seeing it right now. And we just had another person pass away. And it is just, it is a very, very dangerous, harmful place. And um, we have to do something. We're in our last few minutes here with City Council Member Carlina Rivera, who is now a candidate for Congress in the new New York 10th Congressional District, which includes uh, parts of downtown Manhattan, parts of downtown Brooklyn, and a whole bunch of other neighborhoods in Brooklyn that I won't list off right now because uh, some of them are, are part of one of my last couple of questions here. Um, coming back to the, the race here, you said something earlier uh, about, you know, being the, the candidate in the, in the race with the real sort of constituency and base. I think Assemblymember New would probably take uh, some issue with that. I think Former Mayor de Blasio would probably take some issue with that, although he's obviously got lots of uh, challenges in his old backyard where there's a lot of disillusionment with his leadership, but he's hoping to win people back uh, and, and maybe others in the race as well. But as you look at this new district, there's really interesting sort of demographics here. Very clearly, just by the voting age population, the total population of the district, uh, white voters are are likely to be a sizable majority of the voters here. They're very much going to be mostly uh, liberal to to pretty darn progressive uh, in some of these neighborhoods in both Manhattan and Brooklyn. Then you've got uh, heavily Latino neighborhoods and communities in both Manhattan and Brooklyn parts, heavily Asian communities in both Manhattan and Brooklyn parts of the district. And then you have uh, more of a conservative white uh, communities in parts of the district, like out in Borough Park. Um, when you're thinking about those three to four big groups there, um, and again, these are these are broad brushes, but congressional districts are huge. Um, are there any ways that you're thinking about sort of issues that matter the most to certain constituencies and certain communities that you would almost be able to say, I know that the Latino communities, some of which you currently represent in Manhattan and those in, in Brooklyn that are part of this district, the Asian communities, you know, again, predominantly Asian communities care about certain issues at the top of the list, et cetera, et cetera. Are you, are, you have thoughts on sort of that approach to the groups within this larger group and how you're going to sort of talk to these different constituencies? Yeah, of course. I think, you know, what, sometimes people ask me, what are Latino issues? What are, you know, women's issues? We have the same issues as everyone else. And that is that people want a more affordable, livable city. I have very deep roots in, in this community. I've worked with all different sorts of stakeholders, even people who might be on kind of the opposing end of an issue. It's so important to have that conversation to understand and broaden your perspective. And I've been navigating these dynamics for years and throughout my career. I'm about outcomes that lift everyone. And I have a record of doing that even before I became a city councilwoman. I worked on a project called the Seward Park Urban Renewal Area. That's Essex Crossing now. And that was a very big issue for the Lower East Side. That was 40 years of history, two, nearly 2,000 families displaced, many of them Puerto Rican. And finally, there was a conversation that was going to be had about what to do, which was pretty much largely just parking lots. 
And that conversation of, of, of like, well, what do we want? The people that have lived here, the people that live through this displacement, what do we want? Well, we wanted affordable housing because that was the right thing. And that would be, you know, the, the justice part of it was so important, you know, open space, making sure that there was local hiring, uh, having a seamless transition for the Essex street market vendors to go from one market to another with the same rents, but more amenities because that market was so important and symbolic of the community's history. And because there's such a diversity in some of the kiosks and, 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 and the shop owners in there. And then of course, making sure there was a, a right to return for those families that were displaced many, many years ago, which was in and of itself another challenge. And, you know, how to some of these families prove that they actually lived there. They had to go find baptism records and old report cards. And there were some great organizations on the ground that helped people do that. And, you know, those issues unite all of us. I, I bring up Essex Crossing because it's an example of lots of people wanting lots of different things and the community coming together to say, Here's here's what we can agree to um, and here's how we have to move forward. And when I think about just kind of like my past and and why I think I understand the issues just so acutely and and so personally, I, I know what it's like to live in this city day in and day out. And I think what what gives me a lot of pride are the things that we have all been through together and how we've recovered as a community and as a city, whether it's 9-11 recovery and taking care of those workers, whether it's the Essex Crossing Project, whether it's Hurricane Sandy Relief. I, you know, when I first ran, uh, it was a crowded primary too. And I know this is a, this is the council race. It was an exciting time for me as a first time candidate. I won a crowded six way primary with over 60% of the vote. When I first ran, I delivered for the community. I won my second term with 74% of the vote. And that is because, you know, I, I'm out there, I'm in the streets, I'm talking to folks, people know me. I went to school here. I played basketball here. I've won a couple softball championships here. Yeah. Every milestone in my life is here. And I know the struggles that everyday New Yorkers face because I live them myself. And, and this is so much more than just a job to me. It's about taking care of the communities that raise me. And, and that's what we do for each other as New Yorkers. All right, we're going to leave it there with Carlina Rivera, a city council member and now a candidate for Congress in the new New York 10, uh, which again, is it going to include a, a bunch of communities in, in lower Manhattan, downtown Manhattan and into downtown Brooklyn and further into Brooklyn, including uh, Red Hook and Sunset Park and Park Slope and Borough Park and, uh, and a whole bunch of neighborhoods. Um, we've tried to give you a feel for, your, for uh, why you're doing this and, and your initial uh, pitch to voters. And we'll be checking in with you, of course, as the uh, primary unfolds ahead of what will be an August vote in this Democratic primary. But as I said in the opening, folks, uh, need to get familiar with a very complicated election calendar here, but the congressional primaries will be in August. Uh, Carlina Rivera, thanks for taking the time and, uh, and be well. Thank you. Thanks. Talk soon.